Check, check, <laughs> check. Yo, John. Yo, Dan. Hey, welcome back to this uh, podcast that we've called We Should Have Hit Record. Yeah. What we called uh, it. <laughs> I can't remember. Uh, three Some... episodes in a row now where I've asked, is that what we've called this? <laughs> we wrote down, what did we write down? Hey, John. Hey, Dan. How's it going? Pretty good. You ready to talk about more random stuff? Yes. Yeah. We have been having this great conversation over the last two episodes, uh, now a third episode in a row, ways to do church a new way. Top ways ways. to do church in a brand new way. Yes. Um, And uh, we've had some really good conversation I encourage you to listen back to those first two episodes to catch yourself up. Uh, if you want to participate in the conversation, uh, you have questions on your own or ideas on how to try church in a new way, find the Ginghamsburg Discord server, and we'll create a text channel there. Um, or hop on the Ginghamsburg Facebook group, and we can start dialogue there as well. Yep. Um, there's a revival happening at Asbury College mm-hmm. uh, as we're recording this. Yep. Um, as... Somebody who went to Asbury, I have my own uh, reflections and feelings, but I'm curious from an outside uh, perspective looking in, um, were you familiar with Asbury College at all before this? Yeah. What's, yeah. what's your awareness of Asbury? Um, well, one of my one of my best friends, uh, his wife actually works in the athletic department at Asbury, but um, cool. I've known Asbury for a long time. Um, I grew up about 15 minutes from Asbury, uh, from Wilmore. Mm-hmm. And I, so one common confusion is that there's a seminary and there's a college. It's a university now. Yeah. Uh, they're not the same institution. And so when I say I went to Asbury, uh, a lot of times people are like, oh, like you went to seminary? I'm like, no, no. no. <laughs> um, but Hughes Auditorium, which is where uh, the epicenter of this particular uh, revival movement is right now i probably spent over 400 hours in hughes auditorium if you think so we had monday wednesday and friday chapel as a uh, college student so eight different semesters probably four months a semester you could probably say it's about 400 different chapels uh, Mm -hmm. give or take yeah uh we were allowed six chapel skips uh, a semester. Yeah. Uh, I remember those days. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where did you go to college? Went to Indiana Wesleyan. Indiana Wesleyan. So, so similar. Yeah, yeah. Did you have chapel like multiple times? Yeah, a week? we hit three times a three week. Times. So yeah, yeah, you're familiar with that. So so you know what it's like to be you know shaped by yep. um, a a student church uh, spiritual gathering mm-hmm. right uh, three times a week. Plus, yep. I'm sure you went to church on Sundays too at your home church. So. Yep. Very uh, spiritually forming. Seeing this uh, particular breakout of revival has um, been really interesting. It's it's hard to explain uh, how I feel, but there is mm. a broad connection with uh, people I went to school with. Like I've been checking in on my buddies uh, just because Asbury's been in the news, and mm-hmm. and so um, I've been really kind of watching with. Um, fascination as all of this unfolded. Yeah. When I was a senior at Asbury, um, I can remember the previous four years, uh, we would learn about the 1970 revival in class. Uh, we studied that. Uh, you had 
students who are hungry for it. Mm-hmm. I can remember prayer meetings. I can remember remember chapel conversations uh, about revival and renewal and a hunger for for God. Um, and so when a revival like this breaks out, it's never kind of spontaneous. It doesn't happen out of nowhere. I know there's a hunger that comes before it, right? Mm-hmm. In 2006, when I was a senior, um, I was uh, participating in my internship at the Kentucky Annual Conference for the United mm-hmm. Methodist Church in Louisville, and my friends were leading a chapel service um, one Wednesday morning, I believe, and the same kind of thing happened. Mm-hmm. Like There was a closing song. They said, Amen. Nobody left. <laughs> so they played another song, and then nobody left, and then they played another song, and Nobody left, and then there were testimonies, and then there was more prayer that was breaking out, prayer requests and confession, and it just kind of went on into the night and into the next day, and then word spreads, and then University of Kentucky is about 20 miles down the road, mm-hmm. so students then started coming to um, Asbury from UK, and that's kind of how word spread, but 2006 was probably bef- right before the social media boom, mm-hmm. you know? So we didn't have the traction um, to really blow that thing up like like they have now. Right. Uh, so that's the major difference, um, I think, between the last revival that broke out at Asbury and what's happening now mm-hmm. um, is social media, um, which I have I have a lot of fascination about that anyway, just because I'm generally interested in, in technology right. and mass communication. And so I have questions that come with that too, <laughs> you know, um, the sensationalism that can, you know, you get a lot of rubberneckers uh, when something goes viral very yeah. quickly, you start questioning like, where's that threshold mm-hmm. of health because you don't want to start attracting the crazies. Yeah. Um, just last night, uh, I think, so I'm referring to day six of the revival. They asked everybody to stand up if they were from out of town and like 90% hmm. of the people in the room, uh, stood up. And so there is a, um, certainly an attraction to what God is doing at Asbury. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I, I just, I hope and I pray for the students, uh, that, that they are being taken care of through the whole thing, you know? Yeah because this can be transformative for them. It was for me and my peers in 2006, and it wasn't to the scale that's happening today. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for what's to come. Yeah. yeah. Locally here, Cedarville has had some moments that are influenced by what's happening. I know Indiana Wesleyan sent a group of students to participate and see what's going on and to bring some of that, uh, like some, not, it's not like you go and you take a bucket and you, catch some of the Holy Spirit in a bucket and say, hey, we're going to bring the Holy Spirit back to our chapel service and we're going to duplicate the same thing. But just that yeah. sense of what's happening and that hunger, like that's the, I think that's the biggest piece that that you've brought up and that's what resonates with me is just yeah. kind of this hunger. And I remember like every like every semester we, we would have a, like they called it spiritual emphasis week, you know, and they would bring in a guest speaker and there were evening services and stuff like that. But there was always there was always a different hunger around that week than there was during chapel in the middle of February, yeah. halfway through the semester. Yeah, um, those would be the but, days we're learning about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and so so there's there's a verse in Isaiah like when you when you as you know saying God when God came down and moved to the mountains, it was beyond our expectation, 
And, uh-huh. you know, so often, so often and the way I re- always read that verse is, you know, God does these incredible things that we don't expect. And it's like, oh, wow, that's cool. I get to be a part of it. But when you flip that on its head and you say, no, I'm going to walk into this expecting something, then you know, then your your heart's in the right place. It's not just a, you know, the moments where you get blindsided by the Holy Spirit are incredible and powerful, but it, even more so, it's like, what if every single person walked into our worship center or students walking in on Wednesday evening, every single person walking in with the expectation that God is going to move, that the Holy Spirit's going to show up. Like there's, there's just something powerful in that and, you know, unifying say we're worshiping together and I'm, I'm coming from that place of expectation and I sense what the Holy Spirit is moving in you, then it says, oh, I need to be a part of that as well. And so it really creates this bond. And I think that's like that's something that's going to be really powerful for, I mean, I think you mentioned it in one of our previous conversations, just the lifelong impact that this is going to have for those students, for the people who visit from out of town, the people who have, seen it on social media and gone I want to see what's going on one of the things you said earlier today too is it's like what would it what would it look like for us to say well man this is awesome it's happening at Asbury but doesn't just have to happen at Asbury like why why can't it happen here and why can't it happen Hmm. everywhere you know what I mean and well ask that question why can't it why can't it happen here what's in the way yeah what's in the way um cynicism uh-huh there's there's a a jadedness do you think it has to start with young people uh, look at jesus jesus always said you know let the let the children come to me so so on one hand i would say yes it's dependent on young people yeah but on another hand i would say no it's not because you know at 95 years old, you can have a faith like a four-year-old. Why do we feel like we have to get on a bus and go to Wilmore? Yeah. Like, we want to dip our uh, candle in the fire, mm-hmm. you know, down there. Like, yeah. We have to go get a taste. We have to go get a taste of it. Right. Because the, the Holy Spirit's not contained yeah. by Hughes Auditorium or right. by, you know, that geographical right. location. Yeah. And I, I would say that everybody there probably knows that, mm-hmm. right? But what's but there's a there's a geographical draw to what's happening, which mm-hmm. is interesting to me because yeah. the farther out you zoom, I was even looking at the uh, the pale blue dot photo again today. That was it Voyager that took that on its way out of our okay. uh, solar system. Mm-hmm. It's just a tiny tiny pale blue dot in a ray from the sun, you know. And when you zoom out that far, like all sense of geographical. Uh, poignancy Mm -hmm. totally disappears yeah and so yet here we are uh two and a half hours north of of wilmore uh feeling like it can't happen here we have to get on a bus and go experience it down there and yet the universe is gigantic and so that's weird to me Mm -hmm. (laughs) i don't know if i have a better word to describe it you know right um it should be as easily accessible here as in wilmore 
and so that question, well, why not here? Like, why not tonight when we gather for youth group, put that yeah. challenge out to our kids that if you hunger for God, you don't have to go anywhere. Like, it's here. God is here already, and God wants us to want him. I think maybe that's the difference is God is all powerful except for in that one circumstance where we deny for ourselves the love that God has for us. Mm -hmm. And so it really is just like you said, a question of the heart, Mm -hmm. you know, the posture of our heart, our posture of expectation. Like what is that we want? Mm -hmm. Do we want God or do we not? Maybe that's as simple as the question is, you know, looking at what's happening at the revival in Wilmore, Kentucky, uh, is probably uh, a good uh, foundation for a lot of our questions that we have today in mm-hmm. terms of uh, doing church differently, right? Mm-hmm. Because we see what's happening there. Uh, one thing that I've heard from the administrators at Asbury in their social media posts is the fascination that there are no song lyrics posted mm-hmm. <laughs> like in print form or on a screen. There's no lyrics. Yeah. And yet, song is breaking out and people are singing in unison and uh there's something about the simplicity of the the worship um Mm -hmm. in and through this revival movement that does not reflect uh modern worship practices Mm -hmm. you know uh and so is that something how does that inform how we worship? Like, I don't know. I'm not ready to say it poo-poos modern worship in terms right. of like the lighting and the sound technology or even the style of mm-hmm. worship, you know, the K-Love style or CCM, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not sure I'm ready to say that all worship um, needs to be that stripped mm-hmm. and simple. And yet, what does it say about the upcoming generations where they maybe don't need any of that or maybe they worship differently? Yeah. Uh, obviously, every new generation has a different expression, right, mm-hmm. of worship and connecting with God. What are we learning about Gen Z in particular as mm-hmm. we look at the revival in Wilmore, knowing that it was started by a prayer movement of students? Yeah. Like, we've talked about that this is a, like, it's a, producer generation like they want to they want to be um like on one hand they want to be able to control and manipulate in a way that says i can make something i can do something i can build something and um that makes sense to me yeah i learned i mean i'm probably borderline gen x millennial but Mm -hmm. like working with my hands Uh, I learn better, right? So I have to create to understand, or Mm -hmm. even better yet, I have to teach to understand it myself. Mm -hmm. I have to bring somebody else along and try to put it in words that they can understand it in as a way of helping me to understand it. And so I see that in Gen Z, this this desire to produce and to create as a method of of learning and understanding. Yeah, well, I think there's also a, um, a hunger for what's real. Gen Z... And Gen Alpha are the first generations that are truly growing up in a social media world. They they struggle to figure out what is real, what is not, and and so something like this, where there is there's no production to hide behind. There's no like there's there's just a uh, a spirit of authenticity, and I know that's a 
I used to work at a church where the pastor hated if we used that word because he thought yeah. it was a buzzword. But you know what I mean? Like there's just a there's a hunger for what's what's real. And and even in the midst of, you know, what's still who knows the future of virtual reality, but yeah. you know, there's still there's still this hunger for what's tangible and what's real. And it's like, um, you know, Taylor Swift's newest record. It's like, you know, yeah, it dropped digitally, but then she also sold something like 500,000 vinyl or something like that. You know, it's, so there's still, there's something about, and I don't know about you, but the last time I listened to vinyl, like it really didn't sound that good. I mean, I don't have a very good turntable, but it's like you listen to vinyl and then I play it on my Bluetooth speaker and it's way better on my tiny little Bluetooth speaker than it is playing the vinyl. But there's still something about like putting the record on the turntable and setting the needle. And so we, we've made the observation that say gen alpha is going to be the first omniscient generation, mm-hmm. right? Yep. AI is going to make that a reality mm-hmm. where knowledge, you don't even need to like look under rocks anymore. You don't need to, explore to discover knowledge like knowledge is accessible just by asking your phone a question mm-hmm. hey alexa hey siri hey google right um and so information is immediately accessible i think like what you said the question is how do you know what's true or how do you know what to trust mm-hmm. well just like any scientist or anybody who's exploring for for truth if if you already have information uh the way to know what's to be trusted or what's true is to test it you know and so the producer generation, uh, they want to take the information that they have, whether it's analog or digital, mm-hmm. right? Well, I don't just want to take your word for it that analog sounds worse than digital. Like, <laughs> I want to experience it for myself, you know? So I'm going to grab the vinyl and I'm going to do it, dang it, you know? And I'm going to like it because I want to like it, you know? Not because you tell me I should or shouldn't. Like, I'm going to make the decision for myself after testing it myself, <laughs> And I think that's that's where we're at with like Gen Z and even more so Gen Alpha as like the producer, gen, the omniscient generation, mm-hmm. um, because they have all knowledge, um, they're going to try to utilize that in a way that uh, they can control knowledge. You know, uh, if there's no more knowledge to discover, they're going to take the knowledge and they're going to test it. They're going to mm-hmm. put it to the test. They're doing that with the gospel, yeah. you know, right now in Wilmore. Gen Z is taking prayer. They're not taking our word for it or previous generations' word for it that prayer uh, is powerful. They're putting it to the test, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think um, when it comes to worship, I look at a uh, youth group tonight where we have a 15 to 20 minute word planned, a message, you know, that is going to be a ministry professional um, giving a a reflection on uh, a passage of scripture and some lessons to remember, right? Mm. But if you're out there sitting uh, in the crowd and you're a Gen Gen Alpha kid, I'm not taking your word for it. Like I, I have to like play with this content. You mm-hmm. know, you're giving me this content, so I'm gonna like take it. But now I have to, in order to learn it and to understand it and to test whether or not it's true, I gotta do something with it. I gotta mm-hmm. create something with it. I have to like produce and then share and see mm-hmm. if there's an impact based off of the truth that like you helped me put into this creation of mine to see if I can actually make an impact in somebody else's life. You know, that's mm-hmm. so, like 
you test it. You got to produce it. You got to put your hands in it. You got to get dirty. You got to get a little messy. And I think that's how Gen A, um, Gen Z and Gen A, Gen Alpha mm-hmm. uh, are really going to engage with the gospel moving forward. It's so much more nitty gritty, mm-hmm. uh, way more based in dialogue uh, than long monologues from the stage. Right. You know, it's all conversation based, production based, creativity mm-hmm. based, um, playing and testing and seeing uh, contribution. Yeah. Yes. Making a, making a contribution rather than consuming. And I know that's uh-huh. another conversation we've had yeah. offline and will probably lead to more conversation here too. But it's that idea of, okay, I'm tired of just consuming. I want to make a contribution. I want to be part of what's what's yeah. existing, part of you know, helping, helping myself move down that path, but also bringing others along with me down that path. We'll take some of the more controversial um, passages in scripture, like mm-hmm. women in ministry, for example. You know, you can say the Bible says that women shouldn't speak. Um, maybe you could take it that far. But I can point to how many uh, impactful women speakers in the church, church leaders, you know, who are way more gifted than several <laughs> of mm-hmm. our male counterparts that I know, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, sa- same as saying, like, or assuming that a, a gay kid can't be filled with the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. you know. Well, I've, I've met him, you know. Uh, and so there is still a tension between, like, what we read in the Bible and taking it at face value and then grabbing what we read in the Bible and putting it to the test. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's the major difference between maybe the generations, uh, the few generations before you and I, yep. and the few generations uh, after us, right, is taking the Bible for for, for what it is at face value, mm-hmm. um, and then a new generation um, who are willing to take what's in Scripture and like really put it to the test, mm-hmm. you know, um, put it to the test, which I'm excited about because... Feel like that's where I am too, you know. The Bible is a complicated, um, a deeply uh, complex um, collection of literature, you know. And I'm no Bible <laughs> scholar, and I never will be. <laughs> I never will be. And in in some ways, like that was the trust that the church at large had with priests before Gutenberg's uh, press put the Bible in people's hands. Mm-hmm. You had to trust the scholars, right? Um, but if you look at church history, there are a lot of scholars who misused that, uh, abused that trust. Yeah. Um, so certainly I think we can look at the revival happening in Wilmore mm-hmm. and be inspired by how to do church in a new way. Yeah. God moves on the fringe. Mm-hmm. God moves on the fringe. Yeah. Uh, another way that we have listed here as a way to try church differently um, is to is to put outsider before insider mm-hmm. right so I, for me like i put that on the list because i'm thinking through fringe society mm-hmm. when i think of uh outsiders in our church i think of uh, hispanic speaking people in tip mm-hmm. city who probably feel like they're on the outside here like we have zero bilingual efforts <laughs> amongst our uh communication and publications um I think uh, if you are disabled, um, deaf or blind or otherwise physically disabled, um, 
you might find that our uh, accessibility systems are not up to par. You know, you're mm -hmm. probably still feeling like an outsider. Now, if we had a bilingual pastor, right, and on the leadership team we had somebody who was blind and deaf, uh, you might start seeing more attention given to how our culture is shaped uh, and welcoming to people who are on the outside because mm -hmm. suddenly you have a representative at the at the table of power, mm -hmm. so to speak. We've done really um, hard work of making sure that we have both black and white and male and female represented uh, represented at the leadership table here at Ginghamsburg. But beyond that, I'd say there's not a whole lot of minority representation or fringe representation. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm curious, uh, John, um, what when I say movements of God start on the fringe. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I mention like power dynamics, uh, when it comes to creating culture, what comes to your mind? Mm -hmm. The, the two stories that are in my, in my brain in this conversation are, um, Mark five, when Jesus and the disciples go across the lake and they encounter the demon possessed man. Yeah. And, you know, Jesus casts out the demon and everybody comes to see what happened. And, you know, this is the guy that scripture says they tried to bind him with chains and was so, you know, such an outcast that, you know, he's living in a cemetery basically by himself. And when, when Jesus goes to leave, this guy's like, Jesus, I want to come with you. And Jesus says, no, stay here and share, you know, share what I've done for you with those around. And it's like, so here's Jesus taking the guy who nobody would even associate yeah. with mm -hmm. and saying, you're the one to tell them about me. Right. And then the same thing is the woman at the well in uh -huh. John, that's John four, right? I think so. Yeah. I think uh -huh. so. Yeah. It's the same thing, you know? She's coming to the well in the middle of the day, which is outcast. not yeah. the time to be drawing water. Right. And, you know, she has this long conversation with Jesus and she becomes the one who runs back to the village and says, hey, come meet the guy who, who has told me everything I've ever done wrong. Right. But did it in a way that wasn't condemning, that wasn't, yeah. you know, because I think that's something, something that, really is countercultural about about Jesus and about you know to what what our society says we're we're in cancel culture where you say the wrong thing you wear the wrong thing you do the wrong thing whatever it is you're kicked out you're pushed out you're censored you're shut down but it's like those are the people that Jesus came for like Jesus came to share hope with the marginalized and to share hope with the disabled and the sick and the, the demon possessed and the sinners. And, you know, th those are things that are uncomfortable for our neat and tidy, you know, clean, you know, clean buildings. And, you know, the kingdom of God is not just a neat, tidy homogenized circle of people it's bringing people together who don't think like you don't act like you don't talk like you don't smell like you like yeah. i mean 
that's something that that's really hard for us to us to get around you know i grew up in a very homogenized area it's like greenville Ohio. well actually did not grow where'd up you in, grow up i grew up in uh millersburg indiana millersburg which indiana. is a little amish town blink blink and you miss it but it's like i don't i don't know that i ever really met any african-american people until i went to college mm-hmm. i mean like my my high school i think there were there were maybe three hispanic kids yeah. in the whole school and you know it's like you know my my cultural differentiation was amish versus english but at the end of the day like we're still all white and we've been talking about latinos the, the hispanic yeah. population it's like well let's not just bring in hispanic people to say hey look we've got a hispanic population it's no let's bring you know the hispanic culture to influence how we how we engage how we worship how we have conversation yeah. how we how we gather around a table yeah. or let's bring in people let's bring people to the table who are hearing impaired or visually impaired or mobility impaired and say we want you to have a voice at the table you know help us to see what we don't see exactly unless you're blind right well even then help us help us to see (laughs) what help us to understand (laughs) you know what what is it like to yeah well my my brother is blind yeah you know he's deaf and blind he has usher syndrome when he visits gingamsburg he can't see a thing because our lights are too dim yeah you know i i can remember being in high school and i was in a heavy metal band uh my youth pastor um shockingly said yes when i asked him if we could have a um a relay for life fundraiser concert my aunt had just been diagnosed with cancer and so we wanted uh, to raise some money for uh, the american cancer society and when he said yes it's like are you sure like you want you want all of my friends to come to the youth room like I mean, head banging and like, there's probably going to be kids smoking like outside our doors, you know, at church, uh, you're talking like the fringiest of fringe kids, mm-hmm. you know, uh, severe, like drug, drug problems, uh, broken homes, um, lots of depression and anxiety. And he said, yeah, yeah. So that was, that was the day that yeah. I invited a hundred friends to church and they came. Mm-hmm. <laughs> The only time that's ever happened in my life, you know, where a hundred of my friends came to church, um, was it to to see Jesus? No, but my youth minister leveraged the connection, the relational connection that I had with the rest of the those in my band, mm-hmm. who leveraged our collective uh, influence over the the crowd of followers that we had uh, of our music, and we brought them all to church, you know, and we did something good together, yeah. you know. Uh, that was a really great step. Like got, that got them a little bit closer to Jesus, you know. Um, and I think what you said earlier about our focus on keeping the carpets clean and you know having this homogenized, like comfortable experience at, at church on Sundays is killing the church. Mm-hmm. Like we have to be willing to, we have to be willing to let in the fringes uh, to to give a little bit of control. Uh, over um, from ourselves to mm-hmm. the fringes of our society so that we can actually shape a culture that is welcoming mm-hmm. to people who are not here. Um, I remember going through a training with Ginghamsburg staff where the the 
person who was teaching us, it was diversity training. He said, think about uh, when you had your first child. So John, like you and your wife, Chelsea, have a, a three-year-old now, well, Maggie. Um, when you learned that you were pregnant, you started to baby-proof the house, you know, uh, all the electrical outlets, like you bought a crib, uh, you started to decorate her room, I'm sure, like all these things that you do to the house to prepare for this child mm-hmm. who's not even there yet, right? Well, she said, that's the exact same thing we need to do for the fringes of our society. Uh, if we want them to be living with us, if we want them to be in our spaces and to actually feel like it's home, mm-hmm. Well, you have to prepare the home for them. You know, if they speak Spanish, guess what? You probably need to invest in bilingual ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want the deaf among you, you have to invest in um, in sign language interpretation, mm-hmm. you know, which, by the way, speaking on behalf of my brother, uh, an interpretation service for sign language is not deaf ministry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just an interpretation service, right? Yeah. There's more things that you can do to ensure that a deaf person feels comfortable and not just comfortable, but at home, Mm -hmm. like they actually have uh, a voice at the table, right? Uh, You start seeing your church buildings through that kind of a lens, and you start realizing why you have such a homogenous community, because Mm -hmm. whoever's at the table uh, subconsciously have created a culture based off of their own biases uh, that they don't even realize they have, Mm -hmm. you know? If nobody in your church is physically disabled, nobody's even thinking about wheelchair accessibility for this for the stage mm-hmm. if somebody in a wheelchair wants to get up and share a testimony or whatever if you don't have accessibility wheelchair people aren't going to come yeah you know and so this is just like um constant cycle of not updating your facilities or your culture to accommodate people who aren't there yet because mm-hmm. people who aren't here yet aren't accommodated in your spaces and so they don't come they don't part- so like how do you prepare the house yeah how do you prepare the house uh, even Pastor Mike um, Slaughter, when he came to the Ark, which is our original two-room two-room country church, uh, he said that he quickly grew the church from ninety to about sixty people. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the very first things he did was uh, welcome AA. And at the time, to be an AA host, Alcoholics Anonymous, you had to allow smoking. And so the very first thing, I mean, this is in this is 1979 when he came. So yeah. even early 80s, like smoking in public buildings was still a thing, right? So he knew that we had to we we had to somehow break the barrier of uh, welcoming fringe um, society into the doors of the church. And so he opened the church building for AA meetings. And he said that next Sunday morning, he saw the first cigarette burn on the carpet. And he went, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? That's awesome. That means, like, <laughs> that means there's going to be a movement of God here in this place. And, well, guess what? There was, wasn't there? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're fruit of that ministry, of that decision mm-hmm. almost 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, we're sitting in Ginghamsburg Church today uh, that started because there's a cigarette burn in the carpet. God wants to move on the fringe, and that means letting go. That means having humility enough to let go of our own biases and preferences mm-hmm. uh, to be an advocate for those who are on the outside looking in. Yeah, you know, well, that's you just you hit on it. It's it's humility because it's like we we don't determine whether the Holy Spirit has freedom to move, but we have we have the the ability to determine 
whether the Holy Spirit can move in us. And, and so if we're continually operating from this place of, well, I know all the answers, I'm right, you're wrong, all those things, it's right. like we're we're not in that place. We're not in that um, position where we say, okay, God, I'm trying to get out of the way so that you can move. And, you know, even, even with conversations with other people saying, I'm trying to get out of the way so that you have a place to speak and you have a place to feel heard. That's, that's huge. I wonder if humility is a lost art because people think it means you're a sissy. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you know, like it <laughs> means I'm a pushover. If I'm spot humble, on. if I'm humble, that means like, I, I'll just, you know, whatever you do, you do your thing. I'll be fine. Yeah. You know, I'll just sit over here in the corner and be quiet and humble and, um, gentle and, you know, it's fine. You do what you want. I don't think that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so Philippians chapter two, mm-hmm. uh, verse one, therefore, if you have any encouragement from being unified with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind, do nothing. This is where it like really hits at home for me. Do nothing out of selfish ambition mm-hmm. or vain conceit. Uh, obviously, like the, the life of Christ is one of denial, mm-hmm. right? And so to do nothing out of selfish ambition, that means like every single thing you do can't be or shouldn't be for um, self-promotion or mm-hmm. anything that gives you an advantage over other people, right? Um, or anything that like works to only serve you. Mm-hmm. In other words, your other's focus. Like these are simple, basic Christian principles that I think we all know, but yeah. like, with a little bit of inner work, we realize, oh crap, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm a poor soul. <laughs> um, but do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. What does it really mean to value somebody else? Um, Mm -hmm. it's like you care about what they care about instead of what you care about. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's actually, and and when you care about what they care about, like truly care, well, you want to see, you want to see whatever it is they care about, uh, flourish Mm -hmm. and succeed. And so you actually start working towards what they care about. And Mm so this idea of humility is actually, to me, it sounds a lot like repentance, Mm -hmm. you know, where, where maybe initially, uh, let's just take two enemies, for example, uh, on different sides of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it could be something crazy like like abortion, or it could be something simple like chocolate milk is better than regular milk. Uh, let's take that one instead. <laughs> um, if I really like chocolate milk and uh, I'm passionate and I value my own bias and opinion for chocolate milk over regular milk, um, I am going to create arguments for chocolate milk. I'm going to go to the store. I'm going to buy chocolate milk. I'm going to drink chocolate milk mm-hmm. um, because it's it's self-serving. I like chocolate milk, so I'm going to please myself by by chugging this chocolate milk down my throat. And then the same for the person who's like regular milk, right? But what happens if I say, you know what? Uh, I am going to start 
liking regular milk, uh, not because I do, like I love chocolate milk, but I'm going to start valuing white milk, um, you know, because my friend does. Well, you actually start, because it's not self-serving, it's other serving, you actually become an advocate for, for white milk. You go, you go to the store, you buy white milk because you value it, and you value it for other people. So you're like giving it to other people, and you are supporting your friend for liking white milk. You're encouraging mm-hmm. that, that friend. You say, yeah, white milk is good. You're trying to not convince them out of white milk, but you're actually like affirming mm-hmm. their passion for white milk and you're finding what's good about white milk, mm-hmm. you know, and you're now finding that you like white milk too, but not because it's, it's giving you an unfair advantage over other people. It's because now in unity, you are together mm-hmm. with somebody who's on the opposite side of the aisle and you have full context and understanding of why they like white milk because you've asked them questions to understand why they like white milk. And now all of a sudden, like together you're sharing white milk with the world, you know, um, because you had a little bit of humility, uh, where repentance, right. Is not just stopping what you're doing, but it's mm-hmm. stopping and turning the opposite turning direction. The way. Mm-hmm. You know, um, there's so much to learn about humility and what it means in terms of, of shared power. Mm-hmm. Like if you are in power, uh, this, this is a call. Uh, the humility is a call on anybody who's in leadership anywhere. I mean, world leaders all the way down to leaders of, of your own individual household, like as a dad, John, you and I, like, we have to have humility, you know, mm-hmm. especially in our relationship with our spouses, um, just like uh, a U.S. president has to have humility um, in how they lead the country. Power, uh, God has it all, and yet in Philippians 2 here, uh, verse 6, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather Jesus made himself nothing. God made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Like Mm -hmm. God decided, even though he has all the universe at his fingertips, like he's the, he's the creator. He decided to humble himself and totally flip the script and became the most powerless thing that he could become. Not even a human leader, you know I mean? He was, but it was rooted in servanthood Mm -hmm. and humility and, being others others minded so not only did he empty himself and to become human which remember that pale blue dot picture i described earlier we're really tiny john mm-hmm. <laughs> can you believe god made himself this small yeah and not even like small as in a human small but a human servant mm-hmm. small you know which is just bonkers to me yeah but it's all about power dynamics you mm-hmm. know and sharing the power that you have and advocating for the other mm-hmm. it's a lost art for yeah. sure Agreed. so there's one way to try church in a new way be humble yeah get rid of your own biases find somebody else to advocate for <laughs> sounds good to me yeah sign me up and therefore god exalted jesus to the highest place mm. because of humility mm-hmm. you know the first shall be last and the and last, the last shall, be, shall first. be first exactly mm-hmm. yeah and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, that somehow going low means that people will go lower, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, because that's the way like God leadership goes. It goes down. It doesn't mm-hmm. go up. And so I'm looking at this revival in Wilmore, and I know that it's not going to sustain 
you know, in terms of, uh, in terms of the, the emotion mm-hmm. of it, you know, at some point people who are at this uh, revival, the students in particular are going to realize that life is hard, mm-hmm. that love, uh, that the Jesus love is rooted in agape and self-sacrifice. And there's going to be a calling, mm-hmm. um, a dying to self where they're going to realize that, uh, that yes, God loves me. Um, but it comes to like that threshold of, of self-sacrifice and agape where you're mm-hmm. going to realize that oh, true leadership, what God is actually calling me to be obedient to is, is one of death mm-hmm. and dying to self and sacrificial um, living. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple episodes ago, we identified the poor not as people who lack resources but mm-hmm. lack power, right? Yeah. So agape uh, love is really just... Um, found in humility and advocating for others and being power for the powerless and giving power to the powerless. <laughs> well, join us next time as we continue our conversation of <laughs> ways to do church different or maybe something else. So <laughs> That's true. We didn't, we still didn't get to everything, did we? Nope. I, I found that um, push pay study, the medium si- technology, medium sized churches. And I read through the comments and grabbed a bunch of screenshots. So, so we could talk about that and make fun of people if we want to. Yes. Um, people are so dumb when it comes to technology, man, like you, you're on Facebook <laughs> and you're saying like the church shouldn't use technology. Okay. Gosh, guys. All right. <laughs> Hey, join us next week as we continue the conversation. Yes, thanks for thanks for sharing your time with us, and uh, thanks. We appreciate you. Yeah.